Hey there, podcast listeners, it's Tom here. I recently returned from a camp where I gave some talks to a bunch of teenagers who are mostly unchurched. The talk that you're about to hear is one of the five talks that I gave while on that camp. If you've been enjoying this podcast, it'd be great if you'd be willing to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts so that more people can find it and enjoy it. Also, if you want to read my blog or find more sermons, find a Bible study I've written or book me to preach, then you can head to tomfrench.com.au for all that and more. Finally, I've actually been getting a lot of downloads from Japan lately, which is exciting, but also makes me wonder if I'm getting hits from some strange Japanese sermon listening bot. I'm a little curious as to what's going on, so if you happen to be a Japanese listener, send me an email at tom.french at live.com, that's tom.french at live.com, and help me solve this mystery. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the talk. When I was a kid, I kind of cottoned on to the fact that New Year's Eve was a big deal, and I got kind of more and more interested in it as I grew older. And I got to the point where late in primary school, I was like, this should probably be the biggest, most exciting night of the year. So I was always waiting for New Year's Eve. The problem with New Year's Eve is that it is almost always a letdown. Almost always. I, uh, I, I remember in year seven, my family, we went away uh, with a bunch of Christians to this uh, um, camping ground. It was a caravan park. And we went there to like run holiday activities during the Christmas holidays. And we were going to be there over New Year. We'd run stuff for kids and for teenagers and stuff like that. And then New Year's Eve came along. I'm like, oh, here's New Year's Eve. We've got to have a party. This has got to be good. We better have a good time. And so then they said, oh, we're going to put on a bush dance for everyone at the campground. I was like, oh, man, a bush dance? I hate bush dance. <laughs> so we went to the bush, dances, the bush dance. And as often happens, I go along. I'm like, this is going to be rubbish. And then I end up having a good time going heel to heel to slide. I do all that. I had a good time. But then everything finished about 1030. And everyone went home and I was like, great, now it's time for the party. Is the party going to begin? And people were like, yeah, okay, everyone come and meet in the big tent. And then we're going we're gonna to gather together there. I'm like, great, it's party time. We're going to party in the big tent. So I got to the big tent and everyone was there. And then they said, here we all are. We're going to just have a little reflection on the Bible as we think about the new year. I was like, what? Why are we reflecting on the Bible? I want to have a party. And so then we had this Bible study that went for like an hour. And so it gets to like 11.30 and I'm like, all right, now it is party time. Come on, please. We worship a man who turned water into wine. Can we please have a party? I know I'm in year seven, but come on, (laughs) give me some raspberry cordial or something. And they said, they said, all right, now we've had the Bible study. We're just going to have a time of prayer. I'm like, no, I don't want to pray. I want to have a party. And then we started praying. And then it was 20 to 12. And we were still praying. And it was 10 to 12. And we were still praying. Like, you've got to stop soon. Can we at least have a countdown? It was like 5 to 12. And they were still praying. 2 to 12. They're still praying. And then as this person, there was one person who was praying, I heard the countdowns happening around the caravan park. There were people going, 10, 10. Nine, nine. I'm 
like, why are we still praying? And then everyone's like, Happy New Year, Happy New Year. And this person's like, Lord God, please help us just to remember that you are good. I was like, no, come on. And then eventually at 2 past 12, the person was like, Amen. I was like, they said, well, I guess that's the new year then. Bedtime. Good night, everyone. Good night. And they went to bed. And I was like, no, it's ruined. And that was, I could have cried. And I would have cried if I wasn't a year seven boy who didn't want to cry in front of everyone. I was so depressed. It was the worst. And then what I realized then, that that was a good life lesson for me, that New Year's Eve is pretty much always going to be a letdown. If you think you're going to have the greatest party of your life, you might go to a party and it's not that as good as you hope it would be. Or if you're like, right, no more big parties, I'm just going to relax, I'm going to have the most relaxing night of my life, it's not going to be as relaxing as you want it to be because you hype it up so much, it is always a letdown. Now there are some things in life that can let us down like New Year's Eve and it's not a big deal. You can get let down by New Year's Eve again and again and again, and eventually you might give up and say, all right, I'm not going to bother trying to have a good time, I'll just, you know, pray in the new year or something if you are that broken. But, <laughs> but there are other things which if you are let down, that actually matters and it's significant. And I suspect that there are many people in the world, I know there are many people in the world, I suspect there are many people in this room who feel let down by God. Who feel like God didn't come through for them. Whatever other issues you may have, you may be thinking to yourself, if God is real, He has let me down. That there are things that He should have done for me that He didn't do. And I don't know what those things are, but I suspect there are many of them out there. And so we're going to meet some people today who feel let down by Jesus, and we're going to see how Jesus responds, so maybe we can understand how He responds to us when we are feeling let down. So... We need to look at what this story says in the Bible. This is from John chapter 11, and this is where it begins. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what did he do? Now you'd think that if Jesus was friends with Lazarus, he would be like, Great, he's sick. We better go straight away. We're going to find him. We're going to heal him. We're going to sort it out. I'm Jesus. I can do this. Let's go. And they pack up their stuff and they head off to Bethany to find him and heal him. That's what you would expect to happen. Or Jesus could say, right, I'm Jesus. I can just heal him from here. Be healed. And then he'd heal him. You'd think that Jesus would do something about it, that Jesus would solve the problem. As soon as he hears about it, he would get onto it quickly. But what does it say happens? It says, so... When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Jesus 
hears his friend is sick and says, right, let's just sit around for two days. It doesn't sound like he's a very good friend. You would think he should spring into action, but he just sits around. And while he's sitting around waiting, Lazarus dies. Somewhere there, Lazarus dies. It could be actually that just when the news people left to tell him that Jesus, to tell Jesus that Lazarus sick, then Lazarus died. But somewhere, Lazarus dies. So he turns up. It says this from verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So at least here we have Martha, and she has recognized the power of Jesus. She has recognized that if Jesus had done something, if he'd turned up on time, he could have solved the problem. That Jesus could have turned up and said, right, we're dealing with this, we're going to heal him. He could have said something at the time. He could have sorted it out, but Jesus didn't sort it out. But she at least trusts that Jesus can do something about it. She's feeling let down by Jesus, but she's also trusting that maybe he will work. So what happens? It says this, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So he says, your brother's going to rise again. And she's like, oh yeah, I know in our religion that at the end of time, everyone who's dead comes back to life. I believe it's like we're having a little bit of a Sunday school lesson. I agree with you, Jesus. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So Jesus is saying, no, he's not just going to rise again at one point. We're gonna, you're going to see some amazing stuff happen. If, if people trust in me, then they can have life and life that lasts forever. And then it tells us this. After she had said this, she went to back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Oh, sorry. There we go. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So now we have Mary and Mary comes up to Jesus and she's not as full of faith as Martha is. She just sees Jesus and goes, you have let me down. If you'd come here, he wouldn't be dead. And Jesus 
knowing what she is going through and knowing that he loves his friend Lazarus and knowing that he loves his friends Mary and Martha, it says he is deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And if you look at this in the original language it was written in, it means that Jesus was angry. That Jesus was angry about what has happened to his friends. That Jesus has seen what they are going through and seen what his friend has gone through and he's angry. He's angry that this is a world which is so broken that people get sick and die. And he's sad for his friends. It says that Jesus wept. When Jesus weeps, it's because he cares about his friends. He cares about what's going on. He cares about what they are going through. He is sad with them and he is sad for them. Now, you might know the end of this story. You might know what is going to happen. And Jesus knows what's going to happen, but still he is sad. Still he is feeling for them. They are feeling let down. And he is feeling that deeply. He is deeply moved in his spirit. He is troubled. If we are feeling let down by God, if we are feeling like Jesus should have done something for us, the first thing that we need to know is that he cares, that he is deeply moved by the things that we go through, that he is troubled by this world. I don't, I don't know what it is that you are feeling let down by God about. Maybe it's things that have happened in your family, Maybe it's a sickness that you've had to deal with. Maybe that, you, that you've lost someone that you love. Maybe it's something that someone has done to you. I don't know what it is, but I can guarantee you that Jesus sees your pain and he feels your pain and he is sad and he weeps. He feels it. He is deeply moved. He is angry about how broken this world is. He cares. The first thing we want to say about Jesus when he faces the hard things in this world, the things that we go through, is that he cares. Now, the way we know in this story that Jesus cares is that we see that he cries with his friends. We see that he is angry. We see his care. How do we know that Jesus cares about us, though? How do we know about that? Because we weren't there in the story. How can we know? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is God himself who came to us as a man and lived life here with us on earth. And that is how we know that he cares. I have a father, which is great. And my dad, he is not a talkative man. He doesn't spend a lot of time saying a lot of stuff. And he really isn't the kind of man to be really effusive about his feelings. He doesn't come up to me and say, son, I love you. You are the greatest son I've ever had. To which I'd say, oh, you're the only, I'm the only son you've ever had. He's like, still, you're the greatest. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm so proud of you, son. I don't, I, if I just went by my dad's words, generally, not always, but generally, it'd be hard for me to know that my dad loves me. But if I look at the way that my dad has treated me, then I know that he loves me. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with television production. I just really loved the way they made TV. So I said, dad, can you take me to the television stations? And he was like, sure, son. And we hopped in the car and he drove me to every television station in Sydney so I could go up to the guard box and ask for stickers. I'm sure he didn't want to do that, but he went and did that with me because he loves me. When I was a kid, I loved making, because I loved television production, I loved making TV shows. So I got my friends together when I was in kindergarten and I made a TV show where we all stood on the stage and played tennis rackets to music. 
And I was like, this was such a hit, I'm going to make a second one. So I made a second one when I was in year two, and then I made a third one when I was in year four, and my dad filmed all of them. It must have been so boring for him. But he was there filming his son playing a tennis racket for hours on end. My dad did that. He went through that for me. My dad went and watched me in drama productions. My dad went to, he flew to Adelaide with me so I could play laser tag. He has done so many dumb things with me just because I thought that would be a great thing to do. The way that I know that my dad loves me is because he has done things with me. He has done my life with me. He has lived my life with me. He has gone through things which I'm sure he doesn't want to go through, but he went through it because he loves me. How do we know that Jesus cares about us? Because he is God who has come and lived this life with us, gone through the things that we go through. He has experienced the pain of what it is to live this life, to lose friends, to have family turn on you, to be rejected for, by people who love you, to, be, to have things done to you that you do not deserve. He has gone through all of that for us because he loves us. How do we know that Jesus cares? He, we know it because he has lived this life with us. He has lived our life with us. So when we face suffering in this world, we at least know that he cares. But not only does Jesus care about suffering, he acts. So the story goes like this. To finish it off, it says, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Uh, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. When Jesus sees his friends suffering, when he sees what they're going through, not only does he care, he also acts. And he acts by bringing this guy back to life. Now you may say, okay, that's a crazy story. I don't know if I believe it. That's fine. We're going to talk about whether or not we can believe these things uh, tonight. And we're going to talk about it again on Thursday. So just kind of park that one. Uh, but what we do see is that he acts. He acts to bring their friend back to life to solve the problem that they are facing. And that's what Jesus does for us. He acts for us. He acts for us in this broken world, in this world where we are facing hard things. And he doesn't solve all our problems. God is not about fixing every little thing that could go wrong for us, but he acts to solve our biggest problem. And that is how we know that we have a God who loves us. Does anyone here go camping? Who, who loves camping? Like in a tent, I mean, yeah, great. All right, so I've gone camping sometimes. When I first went camping, we would set up the tent and I would sleep on these like foam mattresses. You know those roll-up foam mattresses, they're about that thick. I'd lay it out and then I'd lie down and the first time I lay down, I was like, tried to sleep the night and I'm like, this is really uncomfortable because there's like rocks under my, under my bed. So I'd have to clear out all the rocks and then I'd lie down again. I'm like, this is really uncomfortable because the ground's not flat. And so then I'd have to move things around and I'd lie down again and think, this is really uncomfortable 
because I'm sleeping on a foam mat on the ground. That's stupid. So next time I went camping, I got myself an air mattress. And then that was pretty good. And then one day I went camping with my air mattress and I laid down on it and went, Psh, and went, oh no. And then I was like, there's a hole in my air mattress. It was the middle of the night. I've got to solve this problem. So I'm like, I've got to find the hole. So I found the hole in the dark because I'm like a magician. And I was like, I've got to solve this problem. I'm like, ah, I've got to plug the hole. I was like, I know what I'll do it. Toothpaste. So I put toothpaste over the hole. I blew up the air mattress. I laid down and then, because it turns out toothpaste does not fix the problem. So I was like, all right, I know what I can do. I've got a postage stamp in my wallet. So I put a postage stamp over the hole, blew it up again, lay down, and then it still went down. I was like, ah, I know the problem. I've got a hole in my air mattress. I need a new air mattress. So I got rid of that one and I got a new air mattress. And then that was pretty good for a while. Then I went camping a few months ago and I was there this time. I was camping with my wife and uh, we were, it was really cold because we were in Victoria and it was autumn. And we, the first night was just freezing cold. And we're like, ah, oh, the problem is because the ground is cold and the air in the air mattress is cold. The cold ground is going through the air mattress, coming straight up, uh, you know, into our backs and we're freezing cold. So we put a blanket on the ground. Then we put an air mattress on top of the blanket, then a blanket on top of the air mattress, then we lay on top of that, and then we land on a blanket, and then we were really warm. But still, we had a problem. And the biggest problem was not the air mattress. The biggest problem is that we were freaking camping. Camping is the problem. If you want to have a good night's sleep, don't go camping. <laughs> Stay home. Stay in a hotel. Don't go camping. That's the problem. You know, I can solve all these little problems, but the big problem is that I'm in a tent outside. That's a dumb thing to do. Now, when we face issues in this life, when we face problems in the world, we can say, God, would you sort out this? Would you sort out the cancer? Or would you sort out my family? Would you sort out my friends? Would you sort this out? And now, these are significant problems. They're definitely a lot bigger than camping. These are significant problems. But Jesus says, these are significant issues, but I'm going to solve the biggest problem. I'm going to solve the root cause of all these problems. And that's what's going on in our hearts. That's that we have sinned against God and we have broken his laws and we are his enemies. But I will love you so much that I will die for you. The Bible tells us God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He solves the biggest problem by dying for us on the cross so that we can become friends with God. Jesus rises again and the promise of him rising again is that if we trust in him, we will rise like him and we will get bodies like his that never wear out, that never get sick. And it's a promise that he is saying one day he will remake this world so that everything that is broken is everything that is broken will be made new. Every relationship that is undone will be remade. That this world will be made the way it was meant to be. That Jesus solves the biggest problem at the cross. He starts it there and one day he's going to come back and finish it. Now, I don't know why we go through all the things we go through. And I can't tell you why you are facing the issues you are facing. But I can say this. If you feel let down by God, know that he cares and that he has acted in his son Jesus. And if he was willing to give up his life for you, then maybe you can trust him with your problems. Maybe he loves you enough to give up his life. So he loves you enough to be with you even in the hardest things that you are facing. Will you give him a go? Because your other choice is you have to go through these things by yourself. 
Will you trust the God who loves you enough to care for you by living this life that you go through and has acted for you by giving up his life for you and has risen again so that if you trust in him, you might know that one day he will make everything right and new. How about I pray for us? Father God, I pray for each one of us here and I pray particularly for anyone who is feeling let down by you. God, we know that this is a broken world and I thank you that you're a God who cares deeply. I thank you that in Jesus we see someone who is angered by the things that have gone wrong. Someone who is sad and wept with his friends and we know that you are sad and you weep with us. I pray that the, each person here will feel your comfort. And I pray that each of us will be people who see what you have done for us and seen that you have acted and that you care and that we'll be willing to trust you with whatever we are going through to see that you are someone who makes a difference now and forever. Amen.